we all have we have an ability to push our lives to the next point and sometimes we can feel so defeated as hustling artists as you hustle around this person rejecting this person rejecting uh, but when you're so sure inside i think there is something there that you should that you should trust This is the Latitudes podcast, the voice for art from Africa, and I'm your host Rifilwe Mpakanyane. Powered by IT Art Insurance, season 1 of the Latitudes podcast explores new ways of accessing and thinking about the contemporary visual arts from Africa, while also building a robust archive of thought leadership. Are you an art enthusiast or collector looking to safeguard your valuable assets? Look no further than IT Art Insurance. With the company's unique understanding of both the art world and the insurance industry, I2 is equipped to handle the distinct risks associated with insuring your acquisitions. Whether your pieces hold aesthetic, historic, investment, or sentimental value, I2 has you covered. Visit i2.co.za or contact your broker for more info. I2 Art Insure is an authorized financial services provider. My guest on this edition of the Latitudes podcast is artist Tsinga Samson. Tsinga is known for his figurative oil paintings of large-scale group scenes and self-portraits. His work with its signature dark palette, along with his depictions of figures with pupilless eyes arranged in formal ceremonious poses, is incredibly evocative and arresting. Tsinga has had solo exhibitions in London, New York City and Cape Town. And his work has been included in group shows in Amsterdam, Berlin, Norway, Vermont, and Mexico. Our conversation takes place off the back of his recent showing at White Cube Mason's Yard Gallery in London, and we explore Tsinga's meteoric rise to global artistic renown, his studio practice, and the places and people that inspire him. But most importantly, we talk about what keeps Tsinga focused and grounded. Samson, thank you so much for making the time this afternoon. I really appreciate you doing so. Mm. And I really am so happy to be speaking to you off the back of your latest exhibition at mm-hmm. White Cube uh, in London specifically. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Latitudes podcast. Thank you, Rafiwe Ngosi, um for having me mm. uh, in the podcast. I'm truly honored. And um Yeah, I'm also humbled by the audience that we'll be including in this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. You mm-hmm. grew up between the Eastern and the Western Capes mm-hmm. and you've spoken about this quite a lot in your interviews. Just give us names, places, the various times in your life when you left the Eastern Cape to go to the Western Cape. And mm-hmm. where exactly you spend time in both those provinces? Cuz if I'm going to generalize, which I'm going to do right now, I could surmise that those both those experiences were vastly different that they were quantitatively and qualitatively very different so what were those lived experiences for you in the two provinces and and maybe you can compare them or just bring up for us some highlights of um how they spoke to you or even shaped you you're absolutely right i feel i was born in cape town mm. mid 80s quickly after that my mother <clears throat> moved back to the Eastern Cape 
And I, I think my first five years to, yeah, my first five to uh, seven years, I'm correct, seven years, mm-hmm. spent them almost all of those years in Eastern Cape, which are mm-hmm. my, my uh, preschool years. Then from there, I moved back to, I moved back to Cape Town. Uh, with my parents, I, I spent, I did my primary years here, then moved back uh, to the Eastern Cape to do my junior high. Yeah. Uh, then after my high school in Eastern Cape, came back to Cape Town. So I've moved between Eastern Cape and, and Cape Town. Um, the, the years, the Eastern Cape is, it, 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 has, it has a lot of yes. in it. Yeah. And so you got to learn more about culture and the way of understanding, which as a Kosa, it, it's, it's close to my center as an African person. Yeah. As a home significance, Cape Town is more, I feel it, it is an ambition and distress ambitions. This is how I relate to I go to the Eastern Cape to go home. Yeah. I come to Cape Town to work. So there's <laughs> this, there's this sort of relationship uh, between the two. Yeah. And talk to me about what home feels like and what home does for you. Of course, I, as I'm a painter, the landscape, the rawness of of the environment, and also the the freedom to uh, to walk from. Most areas here in, in, in the city, they are restricted. Yeah. So in the Eastern Cape, you're not as, you, you can walk up from one village to an open land, from one mm. village to another without too many restrictions. So you have a chance to really, to feel the world. And also, you are also taught to respect the world. Because yeah. you, you, in some places, are considered as sacred. When you go, to, it the river. When you're about to cross the river, you have to throw a stone. Possess vivanin, throw yeah. a stone to the river, and then ask for permission to pass. Mm. Um, mm. So you're seeing this respect for nature. Also, that is there that you, and of course, it, even in Cape Town, nature is respected. But the freedom is more restricted yeah, here. Yeah. So to live that, to to have a chance, it, it creates a longing for me. I will, sometimes I would find in, in my work, I can see where the, the, the desire to put in nature, you'd find there's a branch, there's a tree, but you also see this could be in the city, still around the city. Yes, there, is a, there is something in me in a very in not necessarily direct way that sort of like cries for that yeah. but also respects it with that yeah i think yeah i, I just I, i'm not sure if i'm making sense yeah absolutely making sense and what i find really beautiful is the picture that you've painted of life 
your life in 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 the Eastern Cape or in a more rural setting where you are in communion in communion with nature with animals but also in conversation because to throw a stone into the river and ask for permission to cross or for safe passage means that you are at so many points during your the day not just sitting down to pray I guess formally because it's prayer time or it's time to bless your food but doing that at so many points within your day, we are acknowledging the spirit, the spirituality, the importance of various elements within the natural environment. And it's really beautiful. And I imagine incredibly grounding because when you're not obliged to do that in the city, <laughs> you're not doing that when you cross the road and you're mm. standing at a robot. I imagine it's incredibly grounding and it brings you back to yourself, as you said, because mm. it is a place of restoration for you and for sustenance. But I'm also curious about which other ways your upbringing influenced your sort of artistic sensibilities and ambitions or in fact even just instilled within you that urge to express yourself artistically who in your community or in your family was in fact what you might have called an artist that you looked at and thought actually that might be something I want to do or that's absolutely something that I want to do. And we'll go on to talk about, of course, your mentors at, at Isbani. But who was it at home, perhaps in the Eastern Cape, that had these artistic abilities and tendencies that you that spoke to you? Both my mother and my father were, were gifted people mm. and they were separate. I grew up both of them separate. My mother was more of a designer, fashion designer, but not a fashion designer, but yeah. more those girls who make their own skirts and mm -hmm. make it sexy. And <laughs> so she also made curtains and she also made bedding yeah. and she would make it designs. I still have some of it. She would make designs and in a very interesting way. Mm -hmm. And also my father, he was a musician. So all his life, he, he sang in, in local groups and also uh, in church as yes. well. Later on, more on in church than in, in some of the local groups that he, he was part of. Mm. But there was not, there was an emphasis on, on music, but my mother, there wasn't much that I should follow. I, I don't know if you ever grew up in a, you ever been in a setup where it's a musical family. Yes. My father's yes. side is more of a musical family. Everyone is expected to to join in the group, and I, I guess, it, it, like I said, there's the sensitiveness mm. between these between these two people that they I think they managed to to pass it through me. Yeah, absolutely. and and I found I also found my way to to use painting as a way to to show that. But it, it it was not just in in them singing; it was just in everything, just how yeah. they were. Because these talents tend to consume and be visible in many areas of of someone's life or of an exactly. artist's life. Exactly. I yeah. I also managed to channel it to to the world by using painting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah, it would be my parents uh, yeah. to answer that question. So you've spoken in, in, in previous interviews about the artists or Gerald Tabata, Olivia yeah. Tayaka, and Tando Lapuano. 
And mm-hmm. the fact that they mentored you when you approached Hispanic Creative Arts in Ekalicha. So then let's talk about an artist's education and those mm-hmm. elements that went into molding who you are right now as this acclaimed artist, right? Mm-hmm. What was it when you finally approached Hispanic that you think you needed and then actually received from those teachers and mentors that you've spoken so much about? What did they give you? Because I guess much is often made about the fact that an artist is self-taught, right? Mm-hmm. Or that they studied at a certain university. But when artists such as yourself, what was it that you needed and, and received, in fact? So those artists, they really took the practice, their practices. It was more of a, almost religiously, if I may use that. Yeah. Because when you're an artist, there are certain things that you cannot, yeah, there's... You cannot behave in a certain way you have. You have to be, for instance, when you sell a painting, here's a small example. Yes. When you sell a painting, it was, you, you would be really undermined as an artist if you would, before you buy your material, if you have, you would have, before you buy your material, you would have food or nice things that you have bought for yourself. You yeah. can't put yourself before <laughs> your work yeah you don't put yourself before your work yeah and I, and i thought it was like that to everyone else but i realized not everyone practiced like that mm-hmm. but to those artists that side first your material then tell us what you bought afterwards <laughs> uh, and i and i really respected that because yeah. it yeah it, it kept my studio warm yeah my studio is always warm it's always active you never find a time where my studio is not i'm not doing something you know or the in converses that promises something is going to be there and also the way the restrict you don't have to don't love money more than you love they put a lot of those values respect yourself don't love money more than you love your craft Mm. yeah yeah and and it's something as much as that seems simple it's not shared across it's something that it sounds, someone can think it's very similar, but you realize some people don't really live like that, or some artists don't really approach things like that. Yeah. Um, as my grandmother used to say, and it takes all sorts to make the world and it takes all sorts of artists to make yeah. up the community. So those approaches and I guess the sort of ethical foundations that each artist sets up for themselves and how they move within that mm-hmm. practice can be really varied. I think it's fantastic that you gained and was exposed to such strong values right out the gate and found those that thing that grounds you very quickly within your practice as opposed to searching for it for many years. The conversation continues after this message from William Kentridge and the Centre for the Less Good Idea. This October, the Centre for the Less Good Idea invites you to our 10th season of collaborative, experimental and interdisciplinary work. Season 10 celebrates many of the key approaches that have come to define the Centre's way of working at the intersection between drama, dance, music and video. The season will include a collection of 11-minute epics, public processions, a collapsed concert, and a first viewing of the new project, The Great Yes, The Great No. We hope you'll join us from the 18th to the 22nd of October 
at the Center for the Less Good Idea in Arts on Main in Maboneng, downtown Johannesburg. In a 2020 interview that you did with Ocula, yeah, it, I think it was 2020, the matter, the issue, and I'm, I'm sure you speak about this endlessly, the pupilless figures in paintings of yours, such as Kobolwakim, were described in that article in what the writer called shadowy scenes populated by figures with white glazed eyes. And then they go on to say that ghostly stares deter our gaze and evoke a realm that feels at once dreamlike and hallucinatory. And you then joined the writer to just to go into detail about your own thoughts around the pupilless eyes and why it is that you paint them. But I was thinking about my own feelings as a viewer or my own experience as a viewer. And I look at the I look at your works and I look at your paintings and as I look at these pupilless uh, figures, I feel as though they're also, and it's, it's pretty much in line in, with how you've um, spoken about your work and your subjects, but feeling that these figures are grounded in a place that is beyond my own understanding, that understanding is bigger than that physical form, that it's a feeling that I've sometimes experienced with people who are gifted. They've got a he they've got a gift of either healing or sight. You might call them Izangoma, but someone who understands that there's so much more that's going on in this world beyond our physical forms. And I wanted to maybe link it to those cultural practices that you spoke about or alluded to at the beginning of our conversation. I was wondering about your sort of own religious or spiritual or cultural practice. What is it? How And how does it inform your own outlook on life and, of course, the meaning and the importance of your art and creative process. Ekaya, are you traditionalists? Are you involved or steeped in any organized uh, religion or indigenous religion? Most people, when they see the work, with because of my background, mm -hmm. and also I do, because I've, I do mention it, I've mentioned it in many interviews, Yeah, they, they think but everyone is allowed to think that. But they think the work is more spiritual. It's, it's about spirituality. Yeah. But the paintings you're looking at are more, I would say, they're more religious in a sense. Mm. How so? Because they, they're trying to, the, the figures that you are seeing, or the, the painting that you are seeing, is trying to talk about something that is not in the painting. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at um, if you're looking at Jesus, look at a painting of Jesus, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're told this is go this is God. Now, but you're looking at a man. Yeah. This is you're looking at a man, but this is God. So it's talking about something that we're not seeing. Mm -hmm. Or when you're seeing a painting of Jesus being taken down from the cross. Yeah. And and you're seeing this, he here this, he he just died for the world here. Jesus just died for the world. This is how much he loved the world. This was mm -hmm. his greatest moment of loving the world. But you're not seeing it in the, the you're seeing you're seeing there are women crying. There's a, a Roman there's a Roman soldier. There's a all of that is to it makes you question. You the one who's really existing. Mm -hmm. So it makes you question. 
and doubt what you're looking at, the reality you are in. Yeah. So that's a canvas. That's a figure of a man painted. Yeah. But I'm just, the understanding that is God. But God doesn't look like that. We don't have a, a visual understanding of God. <laughs> but in is order that, to be able to... In order to be able to grasp the concept, we have to embody him or represent him somehow as humans, right? There's something crazy about that. Yeah. There's something very bizarre about that. We in the reality, we in the reality, looking at at an object, and this object, it it represents God, or we see looking at God. So the paintings, you'd hear someone say, oh, Oh, this someone's oh, they look mysterious. What happens is you you seeing somebody or oh, th- that reaction. Someone is starting to believe what they're seeing, in mm. doubting where they are. There's a, there's a, there's, a, there's that exchange to looking at the work, and the work is a bit done is a bit intimidating. But all of that is happening in you. All of that reaction is you yeah. going through that reaction, not yeah. necessarily the work, but you going Absolutely. through that reaction. Yeah. As in, how much do we trust this reality we are in? How, because sometimes it, it's as if we're five years old. We don't know where we are. We don't know where the planet is. Yeah. We think we know what's happening, but I think we don't know what's happening. I don't. I think we don't know what life is. And, and this is the question we've been trying to understand what life is about. We know what life is. What is this thing? Yeah. But all we know, we, we find ourselves in it. This is, we are, so there's these mysteries, there's this funny thing in life, or there's funny things in life, but we can't quantify them. And we're trying to understand so much, but we can't. So it is this doubt that I'm curious in. Yeah. Uh, the dis- the distrust. Yeah. You walk into a, a, a clean room and you're looking at the work and feelings. You feel, uh, ooh, oh, it, yeah, it, it it feels mystical. Feels. So I find there's a, there's an interesting question for me there. A, but how do you speak of these things as a painter? How do mm. you paint that as a painter? How do you paint that? How do you make a picture out of that? Of course, you rely on you know, you're trying to create a picture that says that, but there can never be a picture of that. <laughs> That's you know beautifully I mean? put. That is absolutely beautifully put. How do you synthesize what is going on inside, whether it's the wonder, the mystery, the confusion, the search for meaning and and that's exactly why you'll never stop painting, right? That's exactly you know. why there isn't one final and standard piece, and that's it. Uktanga Samson has done. Every painting there after that and before that is about capturing exactly what you've just described. And I think it's beautiful. I think that that chase or that hunt or that ongoing process is mm-hmm. really beautiful. It's beautiful to witness as the viewer watching yeah. the artist's work. Yeah, I, I think it really it lends that your process lends so much to our process as well, because yeah. all these things that you're trying to bring out and, and put on the canvas, these are things that then further add or maybe even illuminate in, in, in my own as the viewer, in my own adventure, my own journey, my own process. It's a beautiful two way, three way, however many way process. It's really gorgeous. As a painter, uh, slightly 
trying to move around. See if I've got that that box with that thing you move. The Rubik's yeah, cube. It's, yeah, it's, it's like that. You keep on doing that. You keep on shifting it and showing it in this angle, showing it in this angle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, <laughs> think I, so you you you've obviously exhibited um, around South Africa, uh, all over the world, be it. Uh, New York, um, Minneapolis, whether it's uh, in Europe, whether it's um, in Mexico, you've been featured in all sorts of um, art magazines and and, and, uh, revered and important platforms. What does success mean to you at this point in your life? Yeah, that's a good question, I feel. (laughs) There are days where you just want to breathe Mm. or times where I just want to breathe. I just want to move out of the studio and have a moment to breathe. Yeah. Uh, I, as soon as I do that and I get all right, I come back and I f- feel lighter, full ball. My energies are, I feel them all restored. It, it, it's not as glamorous as the word sound, success. Mm. I think... I, it's like a, as soon as it's success, it sounds like a flying thing, like something moving. Something <laughs> Screaming like through that. the sky, yeah? <laughs> no, it's not like that. For me, it's, it's more for being stable. Yeah. Being able to do my job, do my work, my craft, to paint. I love painting. Mm-hmm. Be creative. And that carrying on and, of course, not being frustrated with being in need. That's very important. Uh, that is I'm very important. frustrated by that. Yeah. But, and also, and family is just one of those things that as you grow, they, they when you're younger, you have all sorts of theories, but as you grow older, families, that becomes more important and yeah. you can feel the importance of it yeah. for you. I think those things and how I frame them are very important for me. Mm-hmm. If I would feel successful, those things, if I would have control over those things, I would feel some amount of success. Yeah. The yeah. other one is a bit an illusion a little bit, a bit of an illusion to that. <laughs> I think if you want to satisfy anything inside with, yeah. with being glorified or being, being praised or being put in a high pedestal that's great that's great but for me it's they're wonderful when they're happening but i don't live my everyday that's not my every my everyday i want it to be really i'm looking for a word where uh, there's a word for it but i want it to be easy yeah yeah like i can do i can like i can be a dad i can be a, a, a good dad i could be fantastic partner yeah. I, I'm not overthinking things mm-hmm. and I'm able to do my ideas they are received or absolutely uh, absolutely absolutely it, um, there is that basicness to it yeah. for my own enjoyment that yeah. is for my own enjoyment yeah. and without without any political uh agenda i'm saying that in a vacuum yeah i i i can feel you on that point that uh, ultimately success is actually simplicity simplicity and ease Mm. and a lack of anxiety as you said about your life or about your resources 
So further looking at your Instagram page, I scrolled down really far. I found such a touching post from around two months ago. You took a picture of a piece at Bernie Searle's latest novel foundation exhibition. Mm -hmm. And the caption underneath that picture was a stunning show by Bernie having but little gold. That, of course, being the title, the name of the exhibition. And then Bernie replied to you and said, thank you, Klinga. Love your recent paintings at White Cube. We'll need to make a trip to see it in the flesh. And I don't know what your relationship to Bernie is, aside from, of course, that both your works have been shown at the Freer's Art Art Fair back in 2018 and I'm sure intersected along along the way, whether it's auction sales, events and exhibitions. But I was really struck by how cool, just simply that, how cool it is that social media allows this kind of very uh, very public but casual and affirming intergenerational conversation where you can admire um, an artist who's come before you and established themselves and done important work and they can just simply respond to you. And also looking at your Instagram, there's this lovely picture of you, very animated. You're talking to Michael Armitage. I think you were both in London. And I really wondered what it's been like so far for you to meet your heroes, right? Um, mm-hmm. If they are, in fact, your heroes or even your contemporaries, people that you can either relate to, people that you can aspire to, or people whose work you just appreciate. What's that part of the journey been like for you? Um, uh, it has depend. It's, it's been adventurous and fantastic. And I hope I meet many more people yeah. in the future. But it's a kind of thing that it depends from you and the next person on mm. that day. And yeah. Particularly also on that hour and how they feel about you. And, <laughs> and what they yeah. think. I've had moments where someone really is very happy to meet me. And mm-hmm. and I've admired this person for some time and I'm, it's exciting to meet them. And But sometimes you, the person that introduces you with this other admirer you you've been yeah. you've had for some time, but they don't receive you, or whatever the reason might be. But it's not. So it's it's a kind of that depends from each person and yeah. what is it that they have for you in terms of heart to heart. You could you by your favorite, you could walk out feeling what a waste of your time after you met your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in many ways that also teaches us to separate the person from their artwork or their output, yeah, but, but also to not take things so personally, because as you say, there's so many factors involved, you yeah, know, anything like could be happening with them at that moment. I, I've now I've learned to to wait for the moment when it presents itself. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and see what comes out of that. And not to be, some people get, they overjudge themselves at yeah. those moments. Mm-hmm. Everyone is nervous at that time. They don't know. You <laughs> don't know them yeah. in, in that level. And yes. now you come into the personal space, mm-hmm. and sometimes insecurities. You can I can people insecurity there, and, and even you sometimes those mm, moments now. Absolutely, uh, they, but uh, they can be a good indication sometimes that you are going in a direction that you envision yourself yeah. moving towards. Yeah. And yeah. they're always helpful in that sense as, as science. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that affirm, something that you already underst- 
sometimes already that is sitting thin. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I guess I would say it it really depends to uh, that individual. Mm. Yeah. We continue our conversation after the short break. Latitudes Online is the world's leading online marketplace for art from Africa. Discover and buy artworks from over 1,700 artists and enjoy editorial from leading voices on the continent. When you buy from Latitudes Online, you have peace of mind that your artwork will be safely delivered to you in perfect condition. Visit latitudes.online to discover and buy art from Africa and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Music as inspiration or a source of energy or a source of relaxation for you. Talk to me a little bit about that because you do post quite a bit in terms of music and artists. So I just want to ask you a few things. What mm-hmm. do the following artists mean to you? And these are all people you've posted about. Let's start with Miles Davis. What does Miles and his music mean to you? <sighs> Yo, yeah. <laughs> Am I asking a big question? <laughs> it's a big one. I mean, yeah. like Miles, Miles is, yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah. you see what's happening to me? Yeah, it's because how <laughs> great he is and mm. the things he, in his music he was trying to achieve. I, I'm not an expert of on Miles, mm-hmm. but oh, he, yeah, he's one of the most fantastic artists. Yeah. that ever lived uh, on this earth. Yeah. Such excellency is very rare. So Miles means uh, someone to, not him as a person, but the, what he carried and the, and the level of class where he wanted it to, he wanted it to be. Miles means high standards for me, yeah. high standards. Yeah, yeah. I'll just throw myself in there and agree with you, number one. But number two, and I'm sure you've read his autobiography, there are those high standards, the constant search for excellence and for Mm. chasing his vision, number one, but also the attitude of nobody will ever say no to me. It Mm. will do what Mm. I want to do and I will Mm. get to where I want to go and I will experiment the way I want to and need to experiment, but Mm. nobody is going to say no. I am the only arbiter of a boundary. In a, in a very, if you hear him in an interview, very authentic cat. Yeah. Very, very, very almost direct. And oh, I love, very direct. <laughs> I love yeah. that about him. Yeah. Hard calmness and artist. Yeah. <laughs> so Miles is, I'm, I'm there with Miles. Yeah. yeah. What does he mean to you? Yo. Once, I, he's my friend. Um, he's a is a personal friend and also a fantastic musician. Yes. That I that gives us a, the same thing that I would say I'm trying to capture. This is hard to say in words. Yeah. And that is hard to explain with words. Yeah. yeah. Bongs for me <laughs> is doing the same thing. I'm seeing an artist who's doing what I'm doing, but is doing it in music. So I would say a book to Bongs, a twin. Yeah. I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And such style and elegance. Yeah. It's very simple, very... Um, yeah. What does Felakuti mean to you? 
a rock star, someone who take his music in a and became religious rock star, lived it and proud and fearless. There's something very fearless yeah. about failure, but uh, I really respect. I very key in my early twenties, very key in my early twenties. Uh, to make me feel proud as an artist or being against the establishment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and he loved this continent also. He loved this continent. He mm. cried for it, his music, yeah. all mm. the ills and all the things and the imperfections that were mm. that he finds that he was the, the people were facing. So he had a lot of responsibility uh, that he took. I, yeah. He was not creating music for for many. Just you know, he wanted to say something, wanted to yeah. address something. He was yeah. annoyed and was fed up. He wanted to, and sometimes in times like this, you wonder where artists like that, artists like Bob Marley, who said something mm. that mattered at the time, and the bravery of artists in all the, the challenges that this world face, especially the continent, our continent, African continent. There's a lot of wars, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rumors of wars at this time, right now in the, in the continent, around Mali, Niger, and, yeah. and all. You're seeing Gabon uh, mm -hmm. also recently at a coup. Cats who didn't mind to put themselves in those poses, to, to come out in those situations and then just spoke out loud and said it. Yeah. You know? And be political, and proudly so. We worried, yeah. I think sometimes even our what we say is our politics as artists, they, on things that matter, sometimes you, you, you question that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fela, bravery, rock star, is confident. Yeah. Mali, he is that side for me. Yeah. My my final question to Tinga is I ask all the guests on the Latitudes podcast what it is that they know for sure. And I've stolen that question from Oprah Winfrey, which she does with her own guests. But I'm going to change it a little bit today and ask you to tell us what you want every emerging, aspiring artist from the continent and in the diaspora, what do you want them to know for sure? What they do in them, they have the capacity to create their own lives. And uh, in them, there is that strength, there is that capacity, the life they envision, the things they want to achieve and the things they want to do. Mm. Especially those they feel more connected to. I think... We all have, we have an ability to push our lives to the next point. And sometimes we can feel so defeated as hustling artists. As you hustle around, this person's rejecting, this person's rejecting. Um, sure. But when you're so sure and inside, I think there is something there that, that, you, should, that you should trust. Uh, a friend of mine, the late Peter Clark, once said to me, at this time, I was I was I was asking him how do I how to speak to galleries how do you how do you hustle? He said to me, he said, as a master, I don't have this. Is what he said, as a master, he doesn't have to hustle like that. Even on hush times, like it was a recession at that time, 
even uh, during times of, is, and here they sold out and even in harsh times like this. But he also said to me, you need to learn how, you need to know when to take yourself seriously and not to. And I never understood that because I was really asking a serious question, how do you make a, a, a living? Yeah. And if you are practicing to being an art, if you are working as an artist and you are aspiring to get to a specific point, one, the spirit that you know that you can is very important. Sure. And also Absolutely. when to take yourself seriously in, in that and when to, because you could be so depressed and you could, you can have a lot of crazy moments and take people too seriously. Mm-hmm. And when you reject it sometimes, yeah. I have many yeah. times. Mm-hmm. So I would, that understanding when I, when it clicked later on, it gave me so much peace. Yeah. When to, when not to take myself seriously. And also, and also that I don't expect my dreams to be made by anyone. I have a lot of collaborations with a with lot of people and work with other lot of different partners. But I don't expect my own dreams to come from other people. Yeah. I take that full responsibility. Yeah. So in that, I also need to know that I can. If everything says no, then I need to understand that I can. I myself do have, if ever, I, I focus hard enough and think broader or t- they would say in Kosa or missing Londo. Yeah. But missing Londo as in if you just straighten yourself up and yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course Mondo being the mind, the brain. So just yes, you know, pull missing yourself Londo. towards yourself, yourself and just straighten yourself up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, these two understanding gave me but it takes time. It took me time to understand them because they sounded yeah. as if he was also brushing me off when Peter was saying that. Yeah. yeah. But when I knew that sometimes if you take things too seriously, mm. uh, you would. Um, yeah. And also here's another one. Sorry. And I'm mentioning a lot of things, but to experience. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm having a situation where I, I can compare my earlier experiences to my experiences now. The scenarios, the situations are different. But the quality of experiences are not, they're not necessarily that much different. Mm-hmm. If I'm having a fantastic time now, I've had a fantastic time even before. Mm-hmm. I think that is very important because if ever it is, if ever the shiny things that you are disappointed in, you curse your life. If you don't have those things, you think mm-hmm. your life is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's meaningless. Yeah. But experience is more cheaper than that. Yeah. And to experience life and accept. And of course, knowing that you can make, you can shift mm. things. Yeah. Uh, it's also a very key. Uh, yeah. I think it's very important as well. Yeah. Knowing that, that you live life in life's terms and everything happens in seasons. Yeah. All the seasons, <laughs> not just the ones you prefer. It, it it's not the end, it's not the result at the end, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. We set our lives as for the results at the end. But if you anyone is looking at their life, it's, it's the whole thing. It's mm. the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, there's no time you're not alive. You're alive now. If you wake up tomorrow, you'll still be alive. So each every moment you owe it a, 
a fair look at the moment of appreciating and being fair to it. Yeah. Budram, it's been such an honor to spend time with you and to talk to you, to meet you finally. And it really, I think, is we are all richer for the fact that you have been able to chase your creative passion. You've been able to realize what um, your friend Peter Gluck's words actually meant. And you get to... I guess, shine a light for us, whether it's here at home, whether it's abroad, but seeing someone living in that calling is such a gratifying experience. And it's also not just an affirming experience for you, but it's an affirming experience, I think, for any individual who is, as you say, searching and trying to find meaning yeah. in life. So thank you so much for your your beautiful work, your work that makes us think. It really is an honor. Thank you. Thank you, Rafine. And, and yeah, thank you to everyone who who has taken time to listen. Are you an art enthusiast or collector looking to safeguard your valuable assets? Look no further than I2 Art Insure. With the company's unique understanding of both the art world and the insurance industry, I2 is equipped to handle the distinct risks associated with insuring your acquisitions. Whether your pieces hold aesthetic, historic, investment, or sentimental value, I2 has you covered. Visit i2.co.za or contact your broker for more info. I2 Art Insure is an authorized financial services provider. Thanks for listening to the Latitudes podcast, the voice for art from Africa. Please support us by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. Of course, we also welcome your reviews as these help other art enthusiasts find the podcast. The Latitudes podcast is hosted and produced by myself, Rafil Wembakanyane, for the Rare Event Foundry. Spike Valentine is on technical for DBO Media. And a big thank you to the Latitudes team. Mm-hmm.